Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we begin our study of the small catechism. Dust off that little blue or maroon book because it is full of Jesus. It is, it is trustworthy. It is the word of God. And as I say, the gifts are ready, ready for you. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Since I'm new to Concord Matters, I've been on KFUO, and we do know that it is worldwide KFUO. I want to hear from you. Where are you studying with us? How long have you been studying with Concord Matters? And where are the blessings that you see through this wonderful program that has been around, well, almost a decade now? So send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, indicating where you are located as you listen to Concord Matters, no matter where you are, because it is Christ for you anytime anywhere. Joining us in the Confession of Christ through the Small Catechism is Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. Pastor Pastor Bestel, welcome to Thy Strong, or excuse me, I said Thy Strong Word, Concord <laughs> Matters. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Brady. Well, Pastor, you know, you've been on this for a while, um, but tell us about yourself, what your church, your ministry, all of that. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am blessed to serve a wonderfully faithful congregation in Elgin, Illinois, a congregation I've been serving now for uh, 15 years. Uh, folks who uh, love God's word, love pure doctrine, uh, love uh, the liturgy and the sacraments, uh, uh, love the Book of Concord. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it's just a, uh, uh, it's, it's just a sort of a wonderful opportunity, natural opportunity in a sense to continue to talk about the Book of Concord with you and, and with your uh, greater audience. Tell us about your family quick. Uh, I'm married to my beautiful and very patient wife, Shanna. Uh, we've been married uh, for 20 years now. Uh, God has blessed us with uh, six children uh, and uh, four girls and two boys, uh, ranging from ages 17 to four. Uh, and uh, we've uh, been blessed with the opportunity. The congregation's provided us the opportunity and, and cared for us enough so that we have the opportunity to homeschool. And that's been a, certainly a blessing for us. Uh, and now uh, our oldest has uh, finished high school and is uh, sort of taking a gap year getting ready for college. So a new chapter in life for Shanna and I, as we now are uh, parents of a, of a student getting ready for college. 
Well, and this is a good reminder to our listeners to pray for the Bessel family and anybody who has, you know, someone that's going to college in their family and so forth. Uh, And I'll say this quickly is we dropped our daughter off last year at at St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri for her freshman year. And now she's back for her sophomore year. And I never realized how much emotional toil goes into when you drop your kid off to college that first time. So um, we always need prayers. What do you think? Absolutely. We, we will take every <laughs> prayer that, that uh, anyone is willing to pray for us. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It's so true. So true. Well, Pastor, we are here to study the small catechism, which is the Word of God. A lot of times we can just see it as a book that's just talking about the Bible. No, it is the Holy Scriptures and also an explanation of it. Reminder to our listeners, we are studying from Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, which is the copy from 2017 from Concordia Publishing House. And we are in the Ten Commandments. It's been a really fun time to go through this. We started with one of your professors, Dr. John Pless, uh, was started us off with the first and second commandments, and we have been blessed ever since. And so we come to the seventh and eighth commandments. It reminds me once again that when you look at the Ten Commandments on page 13 of the small catechism we'll be using, it says the Ten Commandments, and we quick want to get to the first commandment. But, Pastor, it does say this, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. Is that is that still relevant for today, or was Luther? That was just in the 15th century or 16th century, no longer today. What are your thoughts? I think in many ways it's even more relevant today. In Luther's day, at least there was uh, some sort of a an understanding of Christian Christianity and society. You know, certainly disagreements between uh, uh, the the Lutheran Confession versus uh, the the errors of Rome that 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 certainly are. Uh, injurious to the faith if carried out to their logical conclusions. Uh, but at least there was some semblance of, uh, you know, Germany, uh, the, the the Holy Roman Empire, all these different uh, uh, territories that you could say there was, quote unquote, Christianity. Today, we live in a society in which uh, we have to understand that if, it is, if, if the child is not raised up in the household with the Christian faith, He's not going. He or she is not going to be positively influenced in society in the Christian faith. So it's certainly uh, uh, something that we should press our heads of household to do, to encourage them to do, to say, "Look, this is not only your right and privilege; it is also your authority and your responsibility handed down to to by God." Uh, as we record this, just this past week, we started confirmation classes here for the year, uh, and and I always ask. Uh, uh, that a parent would come with, and in the last couple of years, I've made sure to say I would I would like the head of household to come with, please. Uh, and uh, and so the heads of household this past uh, uh, this past week, uh, you know, uh, six uh, men sat down with me, and and as the kids were doing their sort of opening of the year assessment that I do for them, just to see where they're at, they go off into another room and just do a sort of an assessment. Uh, the um, uh, the men and I just talked very frankly about what it means that the head of the household should teach it and, and should be that uh, living, breathing, catechetical example uh, uh, for for the child as long as they're under their roof, whether whether they be uh, uh, young catechumens or, or uh, confirmands or whether they be high school or college students who are coming back after, uh, uh, you know, after a semester and coming back to mom and dad's house, guess what, college students, even when you live in that dorm, you are still a member of your father's household. Uh, and, and so that father has a responsibility uh, to, to see that, uh, that catechetical teaching through. 
I love it. And then this is something I love how you said it as well, that it's it's simple that we want to make sure that I mean, the small catechism is small for a reason. It's simple and to teach in a simple way. And so this is not something where we're saying, okay, all right, once you learn Greek, once you learn Hebrew, then you can start teaching in the home. No, it's very simple. And we've been talking various ways of how this can uh, be done in your home because this, well, God's word is for you and it can be done in a simple way. So I want to touch on that a little bit later in our discussion today, our study. But for right now, I'm ready to start digging into the seventh and eighth commandments. Are you ready, Pastor? Absolutely. All right. We are in the seventh commandment, uh, which is page 14 of Luther's small catechism uh, with explanation. And how we do this is much like how I would do it in confirmation class, that I'll say the seventh commandment, the command, what does this mean? And we'll continue from there. We hear the word of God with explanation as in, in cl- with clarity. Excuse me. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Pastor, as we look at this commandment, it is, I always have heard when you bring this up in confirmation class or you bring it up in, in Bible study, everyone has like a little kid story of stealing. You know, I was a little kid. I wanted that Reese's Pieces. I took it, put it in my pocket. My parents found out about it. I had to go apologize. And then everyone kind of laughs and we move on, kind of assuming this is kind of a little kid problem. But is it is it a problem for others as well? Your first thoughts on, on this commandment? Yeah, I think where we see that this problem is much larger than just uh, uh, children's stories is when we mm-hmm. consider that uh, when God gives these commandments, he claims that our neighbor has a right to these things. Now, that's implicitly in there. Uh, so if you're, going to, if you're going to understand that in the fourth commandment, our neighbor who is a father and mother has a right to be honored by his children. Uh, uh, in the fifth commandment, he has a right to his life. In the sixth commandment, he has a right to a, uh, uh, his spouse. Uh, and that's why, you, you know, when, as you get to the ninth and tenth commandments, you're going to talk about this idea of, of, of uh, not being jealous of our neighbor's rights in, in, many, in many ways. And, and, and so when you come back to the seventh commandment and say, you know what, our neighbor has a right to property, uh, and therefore it's for me to defend his, his property. That's not just about me stealing the Reese's pieces or, uh, you know, a watch or whatever. Uh, but it's about the fact that, that the, the more my neighbor matures into manhood, the more I mature into manhood, the more property takes center stage in terms of what is essential to him in his daily life. Uh, yes, a spouse is essential. Yes, uh, uh, the, the, uh, um, the life is essential. And so they, they sort of go in descending order, right? Yeah, you shall not take from your neighbor his life, his wife, his property, his reputation, and his rights in, in those orders through the, through the second half of the commandments. When their children in a sense, their property is protected by the fact that they are under mom and dad's roof. Uh, and, and so when one child uh, steals from another child, yes, it's a seventh commandment story, but it, in some respects, if, if the hearer can understand what I'm trying to get at here, it's not nearly as injurious to them as when they are the head of the household. When you're the head of the household and you have your property taken from you or, or diminished, that is injurious not only to you, but to those under your care as the head of household. And so this is definitely a commandment, as they all are, that in a sense, 
becomes more weighty uh, uh, when we grow out of the age of confirmation uh, and, and into the age of, of uh, adulthood and we realize the catechism and God's holy will uh, uh, cannot be treated as a joke, as Luther says throughout the large catechism. It is not to be treated as a joke because the, uh, this is God's good and holy will for all of my neighbors around me, his good and holy will for all of creation, and certainly more of creation is lived out in adulthood than in childhood. So as we hear these words, it, it, and you're exactly right, it really does pertain to everything in our life. It's very simple from the beginning, and this is good for us to remember because we all can be tempted to, to not take our neighbor's money or possessions. How do we see that um, commandment broken in today's world and maybe even among Christians? Well, I think the first way that we see it broken is, uh, and let me just go back for a second, just the, uh, this idea of the fact that this commandment implies uh, uh, or implicitly justifies the existence of personal property. And so one of the ways that this commandment is broken is by teaching that having wealth or having property is somehow sinful. So a forced asceticism is against the holy will of God. Uh, and so this commandment in many ways robs people of the property that they should have because you're making them feel guilty. Uh, you know, the, the breaking of this commandment robs people from what they should have because you're making them guilty that they have uh, property at all. So that forced asceticism is, is one way. Uh, but it's also broken in many, many, many different ways by how we relate to our neighbor and his property. Uh, and one of the things I think that we often uh, do and there's nothing wrong with this is when we when we consider this commandment and and certainly the other commandments but with this commandment particularly we consider all of the ways in which people sin against us uh, and 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 there's nothing wrong with thinking of it that way in fact when Luther writes about this in the large catechism he does give various examples in which we are sinned against and then he turns it around and says but now wait a minute here uh, uh, this is about how you sin against your neighbor. And yet, for the sake of understanding just how deep and wide and broad this commandment is, it's okay for us to say, okay, how does someone sin against me and my property? Let's think of a couple examples uh, regarding family, neighbor, and, and even government, because family, neighbor, and government are all to help us protect and improve our property and, and possessions. So probably the, the, the easiest example that everyone likes to complain about is when the government frivolously misuses tax dollars, right? Everyone likes to complain about that. Uh, uh, you hear about uh, various examples throughout the world today. Uh, not too many weeks ago, we heard about the idea of, I believe it was in the Netherlands, where the government was seizing farmers' property from them, all in the name of environmentalism, uh, uh, and saying you can no longer farm your land. Um, uh, uh, or artificial, you know, governments artificially making gas prices higher through sort of uh, self-inflicted decisions that drive an environmentally moral agenda rather than asking how will this harm or help people in their homes. So uh, not too long ago, um, uh, a news story broke that in Germany, they're now paying 10 times what they paid for gas at this time, I think last year. Um, mm -hmm. uh, here where I'm at in Illinois, uh, we're paying four times 
what we paid for um, natural gas to heat our homes four times as much in the course of one year. Uh, so in those ways, people can look at that and say, maybe maybe to put the best construction on it, we can get to best construction as we get in the Eighth Commandment. Uh, maybe they're not trying to harm us and it's just mishandling the situation. But in many ways, the seventh commandment's meaning doesn't even talk about intention. Sometimes it's just our negligence right. which which harms our neighbor. So you can talk about the government all you want, uh, uh, and yet it certainly also feeds into how we treat one another. Um, what about services sold to us as consumers? Right, the credit card fine print that says, "Oh, uh, you know, if you if you do this one little misstep, all of a sudden your interest rate is going to go through the roof, and you're not going to be able to repay." Um, uh, what about uh, dishonest repairmen? Uh, you know the the stereotypical used car uh, salesman, uh, which I can joke about because my grandfather, uh, who's now in heaven, when he was alive, he was a used car salesman. So uh, I can joke mm. about that one. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, so so we can talk about services that are sold to us as consumers. But there's also then, if you want to start a, to try and flip the, the, you know, put the shoe on the other foot, what about consumers to to sales, uh, uh, you know, or consumers who are bu- who are buying from from uh, honest business? Uh, uh, can't consumers, uh, you know, return items uh, for an, a dishonest reason? Uh, or they, uh, you know, uh, you know, every now and then you see something where uh, uh, maybe you're in the fruit section of the store and people are sampling the grapes before deciding to buy them. Well, that, you know, <laughs> you know that that might not be the most uh, most honest way of going about it. Um, uh, or what about the uh, what about the person who goes to a garage sale and they see that something is marked at a really low price and they know it's worth a lot more. Now, somebody could make the argument, well, that person in the garage sale has a responsibility to put the right price tag on there. Okay, maybe technical, you know, by technicalities, that might be true. But if you were the one selling, wouldn't you really be appreciative if someone came up to you and said, you know, you could really get 20 bucks for this and you've marked it for a dollar? Uh, uh, you know, you would appreciate that. So why wouldn't we in turn uh, do do the same? Uh, and then if they still want to say, gee, th- that was so nice of you to be honest. So how about instead of 20, you give me five for it. Great. Everyone gets a good deal out of it. Uh, so th- there, there are different ways. Uh, uh, another example, why do we need uh, LifeLock and other companies like this, except that intellectual property or identity is being stolen? Right. I mean, it's just all over the place, these things that we have to worry about. Now, again, most of the previous examples put us in the position of victim. But as I said, this commandment should be understood as God protecting and, and all the commandments should be understood as God protecting your neighbor from you. So how do you sin against this commandment uh, uh, and not protect your neighbor's uh, uh, property? For example, in the large catechism, uh, Luther puts us in the position of employee. And then he talks about how employee can do uh, can sin against the employer, and employee can also sin against the consumer in the name of the employer. Uh, and and so uh, you know you've got you've got problems all the way around here, don't you? Uh, students, maybe some of our our listeners are students. Plagiarism is stealing. Uh, uh, working in group projects and letting all the others do the work, and then you earn whatever grade they've earned. 
that's stealing. That's stealing their efforts, stealing their intellectual property, stealing their time. Uh, uh, again, neighbor to neighbor. Uh, what if I, uh, you know, go to my next door neighbor and say, "Hey, I, you know, could I borrow uh, your clippers, uh, your your lawn shears?" And I never bring them back. Uh, you know, might not yeah. might just be negligence, but in a sense, it's stealing. Or what if I what if I just don't keep up my property? And then when my neighbor goes to sell their house, anyone who comes to uh, do the walkthrough of their home looks over into my yard and sees grass that's 18 inches tall. So you can just see how uh, broad and deep and high are the examples in this commandment. And it really does. It's, it's, a, it's a fun commandment to teach when you're able to break it down exactly how Pastor Bestel is doing. Because we try to wiggle our way through it, and it, I like how you took away intentions. We become we become in, intention uh, in intention inspectors mm-hmm. very very quickly. Like, well, I don't think that's really what they wanted to do. Like, okay, well, that's not that's not how we look at the commandments. We don't say, well, you did this sin, but you didn't really want to, therefore, it's no longer a sin. God doesn't allow that <laughs> wiggle room here whatsoever. And if you, if I, or you, our listeners, are thinking that you haven't broken this commandment after all that he has said, I, I encourage you to give us a call and just, you know, let's, okay, let's break this down because we indeed have fallen short of the glory of God in one way or other. And we, well, we need to do better and, and need repentance in the assurance of our Lord's forgiveness. Pastor, other thoughts on the seventh commandment? Sure. I, uh, you know, as Luther does in the small catechism, we, we always begin with the sins of omission or uh, the, uh, the sins of commission. Uh, what have we done uh, uh, to break this commandment? Now, what about the question of, well, what do we do to properly keep this holy will of God? How do, how do we live to properly keep this holy will? And, and the scriptures do talk about this commandment often. There are many different verses, though we often think of the, you know, the great sins of, uh, you know, the, the, the scriptures saying, uh, uh, you know, things about adultery and the drunkards and things like that. It's amazing how often the idea of the thief comes up. Uh, you know, even in even in Jesus' own group of twelve disciples, remember Judas was a thief, and he would take from the money bag uh, uh, as as uh, the the money bag was you know was being filled. He would privately take it out because he was the one who kept the treasures of the money bag. I believe that's John twelve or something like that. Um, uh, also in Philippians, uh, you know, Paul says to the Philippians, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others," uh, and that is the proper way. To keep the seventh commandment is I'm is asking yourself: Am I looking not only at myself, but also the proper interests of the others? Um, mm. What about the parable, for example? This is a I think it's often a misunderstood parable. This this parable of the unjust steward, uh, and this, in this parable, you've got this dishonest guy who shrewdly uses the unrighteous wealth or the common daily bread stuff to curry favor in a dishonest way. And Jesus turns around and he says to to his disciples, now, if the sons of the world uh, know how to use daily bread shrewdly, then shouldn't, basically shouldn't the Christian also make it, uh, use daily bread to, to make friends who will rejoice in him with him in all the righteous wealth. And so how do we use our daily bread and how do we protect our neighbor's daily bread, but to encourage each other uh, in the faith, to encourage each other that 
God's good and holy will for all of creation is beneficial. And when we fall from that, we need a Savior, and we have that Savior in Christ. And so if I can use my daily bread, and if I can protect others' daily bread in a way that's going to show them that we have every reason to keep uh, to take God at his word regarding his other promises, that he's going to provide for us our daily bread, and he's going to provide for us the living bread from heaven, then why would I not use my daily bread that way? And what? why would I not then... Uh, 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 try to defend the daily bread of my neighbor. Um, uh, Paul asks Timothy this very, uh, or, or, well, I shouldn't say that he asks it. He basically uh, hints at this idea when he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith. Notice that you've denied the gospel of salvation if you will not live your daily life as one who rejoices in God's salvation and therefore wants to carry out God's good and holy will for the benefit of his neighbor, his relative, and as the uh, scriptures say, especially those of the household of faith. It brings to mind a way that I saw this growing up happen is our neighbor don't gave us their ladder. We need, needed an extra ladder as we were painting our home. And they gave us a ladder and the ladder was not in great shape. And so my parents decided they're going to kind of screw this thing in together a little better and make it a little more stable. And so they, they, they painted it. They made it look nice. And I was like, why are you doing that? They're the ones who gave it to us like that. Why are you you know, improving and protecting their possessions and income, basically. You know, my dad right. could have easily quoted the small catechism at that point. He didn't, you know, but it, it should be ringing in my ears. And and my dad said this, and he sums it up this way. He said, when people give you something, you give it back to them in better shape than the way they gave it to you. Yeah. And I thought that was very profoundly reflective of this commandment and how we are to live our Christian lives. You have other, you have any other stories like that? I, I thought that was, that was one that really comes up. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that one because you and I have talked off air about how uh, both of our families uh, sort of have some roots in Northern Minnesota. Uh, and so it's funny that you mentioned that because my dad said the same thing to me. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> is, is, is that, that very line is that, uh, you know, if, when you, if you're going to borrow something, make sure you give it back in, in, in better shape than you found it. If, you know, if, if possible, or at least in as good, of shape as you found it, uh, but definitely not in worse shape than what you found it. Uh, and, and so, uh, and so, yeah, that that's that's a, a wonderful way and a simple way to think of the uh, of the. Uh, uh, the the Christian way to live out the seventh commandment in in trying to protect and improve our our uh, neighbor's possession and and income. We want to talk a little bit more about this, but we need to take our break. We are studying the seventh and eighth commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Mark Bessel, and we'll be right back. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death, and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Welcome back. We are studying the seventh and the eighth commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. 
Pastor, as we, uh, the eighth commandment, uh, you know, really brings us to our knees. So before we get to that, when we look at the seventh commandment, it is clear that one, we have not followed this command. And two, we need to do better in how we fulfill this command. Where is the hope for the Christian when we talk about the seventh commandment? The hope for the Christian regarding the seventh commandment certainly always lies first and foremost with the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that that Christ is the one who is the fullness of the law, the full keeper of the law, all the law is fulfilled in him, so that uh, I do not have to um, I do not have to fear and fret whether I am perfectly able to fulfill all these things. And yet because Christ so freely shares everything with me, and because Christ so freely gives us not only the uncommon, or excuse me, not only the unrighteous wealth, borrowing from terms of the steward of, uh, or the uh, the parable of the unjust steward, he not only shares with us the unrighteous wealth, but also the righteous wealth of heaven. Because he shares that with me, and I can now have a clear conscience before God and man. Therefore, I can live with faith in God, but also therefore with fervent love for my neighbor, as we pray uh, in that post-communion collect. And so uh, the hope is that, and, and the confidence is that, uh, while I never use it an ex- as an excuse to say I don't have to do this perfectly, it's, it's comforting that I can do this to the best of my ability, knowing that I can do it with a clear conscience. If I slip up, my neighbor will be patient with me because we are both uh, uh, sinners under the Ten Commandments, and yet also because uh, we both can have that clear conscience before God because of uh, the righteous wealth and the merit shared uh, uh, upon us by Christ Jesus. And that's why getting ahead of ourselves a little bit is you go to the second article of of the creed, and that's why we almost should always be doing this is, we go through a commandment, go back to the second article. Go to another commandment, go back to the second article. Who has redeemed me, a lost and contemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. So I encourage you, go from page 14 to page 17. 14, 15 to 17. And then we get that, that great, wonderful grace that our Lord gives and continues to sustain us as we live our life as the baptized child of God. Pastor, anything else in the seventh commandment? Well, uh, based on something that you uh, uh, just said, I'd like to maybe save it for the eighth commandment. So I'll just I'll just hold my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So the eighth commandment. Let's dig in. The eighth commandment: You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Pastor, I want to start with this. I have found that many times teaching each of the commandments has its own struggles. Sometimes people will say, no, I don't. I didn't commit adultery. You know, I haven't cheated on my wife. And you have to break that down. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. First commandment, you say, well, I don't believe that that table's my God, so therefore I don't break that command. Fifth commandment, well, I don't, I've never murdered anyone or steal, I've never intentionally stolen. So each one has its own unique struggles in order to teach based upon the experiences or background of the individual. But I have found the eighth commandment hits everyone between the eyes. I have yet to teach this and not have someone say, yeah, I got to work on that one. Pastor, how do you want to start? 
Yeah, I think everyone, this does hit everybody's sort of straight between the eyes, pricks us at the heart. Um, because perhaps, you know, while we're in the middle of engaging in this particular sin, we try to rationalize and convince ourselves that our neighbor's reputation uh, really isn't all that important or that it can be easily repaired. Yet God gives this eighth commandment specifically because reputation is important. Uh, uh, you know, we, 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 as Christians, perhaps we don't care what the world thinks about us as Christ, uh, you know, as, as he teaches us and as he encourages us, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. But that doesn't mean that reputation uh, should be, uh, that we should be willing to just shatter somebody else's reputation. Uh, he's encouraging us that when the world hates us, when the world uh, uh, destroys the Christian's reputation, don't worry about it. But as Christians, we do know, according to the Ten Commandments, that reputation is important. And so once we hear that from the Lord Most High, then we think back to those times where we gossiped, uh, those times in which we thought, oh, it, it, it won't really hurt uh, uh, Joe, Billy, or Sally if I say this without them knowing it. And we realize God gave them a reputation for me to defend. Uh, think of the um, uh, the f fourth uh, petition uh, of the Lord's Prayer and, and Luther's explanation and how it includes in there the fact that daily bread includes a good reputation. Uh, and if it includes a good reputation, if my neighbor's daily bread includes that, then I have a duty and a responsibility to defend it for them. I'm reminded of, of the language that's used in the third commandment. It says, you know, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it, hold it sacred. Now, here's the connection, the wording I think we can use. You said it so well about reputation, that we should hold his reputation sacred. That's something I've never really thought about is how do I hold the person's reputation sacred? Because I've noticed this in myself. If somebody else tells me, this is what I've heard of this individual. And sometimes you have to do that professionally. I understand that. But most of the time, that's not what's happening. Is that this is what I've heard of this person. That changes my viewpoint of them. And so when I approach that individual, that's in the back of my mind. That's what this person is like. And, and more times than not, I go up to them and I found out this person's a great person. <laughs> right. This person's much nicer than I envisioned. And our old Adam has a tendency to take those stories from a second source and then we insert our own thoughts and often it's a negative twist to it as opposed to positive. And the thing about it, I see this play out in my world and then I don't even realize how much this has happened to me that when I interact with people, people have said this about me and then it really becomes hurtful and you see the real issue with the Eighth Commandment and how destructive it really is. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. I, you know, the, the idea of holding somebody's reputation sacred. Now, that, that I think, uh, to pe peel back another layer of the onion, why would we hold it sacred? The word sacred, mm -hmm. of course, means, mm -hmm. means holy. And so when you think about it, why is someone's reputation holy? Well, first and foremost, because that person was created by God. That right there means this person has or should be defended in reputation uh, uh, with every fiber of our being where possible. Secondly, this person was redeemed by Christ. Uh, yes, we could say of that person, they were a lost and condemned creature, just as I was. And yet, 
they have been redeemed by Christ, as, as you rightly went forward to page 17, second article, uh, not with gold and silver, but with his holy precious blood, right? This has redeemed me, and therefore it's redeemed my neighbor, and now his reputation is, is uh, holy twofold in a sense, both as one created by God, but now also as one redeemed by God. Now, let's say that it's not just a random person on the street, but let's say it's a fellow Christian in the pews. Um, now you have to include a third level here, and that third level uh, is also in that meaning to the um, uh, to uh, to the second article, where it says that I may be His own. Right now, all of a sudden, we belong to Christ as as a Christian, as one baptized into Christ, and 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 literally wearing the name of Christ and the reputation of Christ. And so, if that neighbor of mine, if that fellow Christian of mine, has the responsibility to carry that name rightly, second commandment, then I have a responsibility, eighth commandment, to do the very best that I can, both in my own heart and mind regarding him, and in speaking uh, to others regarding him, to to say of that fellow Christian, from what I know, he is carrying the name of Christ rightly. So we let's break this down a little bit, is we should not tell lies. Now, we tend to do this in our culture where you have a bad lie, you know, like you uh, blatantly told someone that you uh, uh, that you like them and the whole time you didn't like them or something along those lines. And then you have a little white lie, which is where you tell somebody that you like their shirt and you actually don't. That's a white lie. And that's it's a small one. No big deal there. But the big one, oh, that's really bad. Does it make that distinction here? Well, again, you get to the idea of motive, right? You get to the idea of degrees. Uh, and uh, now I think, the, I think the standard one here where people come back and say, well, does that mean I'm sinning against the commandment if my wife has on uh, uh, a blouse or a shirt and says, does this make me look fat? What am I supposed to say to that pastor, right? <laughs> and, and, and then, and then you, you know, say, well, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you be gentle and loving and, and kind and encouraging, uh, uh, but you protect the reputation. So if, if the article of clothing doesn't, you know, my, my recommendation would be if the article of clothing doesn't necessarily make them look uh, uh, great in your eyes, then you're protecting them from going out into public with that thing on, right? So, so, uh, uh, so try, to, try to help encourage or, or speak kindly and lovingly and such things. But no, this does not make any distinctions. This does not make any distinction. We, uh, uh, you know, the, the the honesty is always the best policy. Uh, speak the truth in love, uh, and and let your yes be yes, your no be no. It's that simple. And why is this such a hard command to follow? It, it it's what like I said, it hits people between the eyes. And you would think, well, I don't want people talking about me that way. Why is this such a hard command to follow? What, what would you tell someone if they asked you that? I would say it's because I'm more worried about my reputation than my neighbors. I, I you know, mm. I tend to think in most cases, and and uh, we've we've both had a good number of years of of uh, pastoral care over uh, congregations. Um, uh, I, you you tend to find that people who uh, come across as having the roughest exterior. Uh, and, be, and quote unquote, being mean to others, or maybe breaking the eighth commandment, or gossiping, or whatever about them, you tend to find that it's because deep down inside, 
they have this great inferiority complex or they are just so uncertain about themselves that they feel the the best way to uh, encourage themselves is by tearing down those around them. Uh, so um, I think it is it is hard for us to keep this commandment, uh, partly because, as the scriptures say, the tongue can set a fire, or, you know, can set a forest ablaze, uh, and this this mm. small member of the body does so much harm, and we don't think about how much harm it can do. We think as long as my fist does not connect with their face, I'm not harming them. But the tongue often does more damage. Uh, uh, the um, uh, but I think the other reason is because so often we're so far more worried about our reputation that we're that we're willing to harm someone else's reputation in order to make us feel better about our own. And, and this is something that hits me between the eyes as well, because we are always curved to ourselves when we are looking at the world. How does this affect me? How do, what what are the implications for me? And one pastor put it best, and this goes back to the first commandment, as as Dr. Pless said so well, that the first commandment, you know, if you don't get the first commandment, you're not going to get the seventh or eighth. You're not going to get any of those. And and it not only is a summary of the Ten Commandments, it's a summary of the Bible. Who is the true God? Right. And am I following him? And often, you know, I will 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 like to talk as if I love my wife more than any anything, that I love my children more than anything, that I love the Lord more than anything. But if we're being honest, and this is always a need for repentance, who I love more than anything is myself, Ab- me, myself, and I. Absolutely. A great book out there called The Unholy Trinity. Uh, yes, right. uh, yeah, 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 printed a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, a, a few years ago, I, I coined a term uh, in, uh, I can't remember if it was during Bible study or if I used it uh, d- during a sermon one time, but I've used it ever since. And, the, and, and people really, people here at Calvary really seem to appreciate the term. I said, and I think it was when we were talking about atheism, uh, and I said, you know, there, there really is no such thing as an atheist. Uh, there is no such thing as someone who doesn't believe in a God. But really, there are only two religions in the world. There's, the, there's Christ, and there's Christianity, and there's metheism. Everything else is really about me. Uh, and so which God, which God are you going to have? You're going to have Christ, you're going to have me. And so that really, I think, is, is a, a helpful way for people to think about it, uh, that I, I break this commandment, I break all the others, because the God of me is more important to me than the holy will of the creator of the world. Now I'm going to feel guilty about feeling guilty, because I want to steal that line and preach on it. Is that breaking the seventh commandment? I don't know what to do. Not, here, not if I give you permission, by all means. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it, but by it. all means, you know, it, it's just one of those things that if, if, uh, if we as fellow pastors have, have a, have some sort of a line or, or analogy or whatever that is helpful, why would, why would we try to safeguard it as intellectual property when it's for the benefit of the church? Right. So by all means, by all means, use that line. You've heard it here, folks. He did give me permission. So if I use it in a future broadcast or in a sermon, he did give me permission. That, so we're right. good to go. Sure. We're good to go. So we, we look at this. I do want to just break down a few words because we might not always have the same agreement on it. Slander. Hmm. What is slander? If someone asks you what that means, what does that mean? Yeah, there's a great one because our society has become so numb to this. You know, uh, to, to slander is really to uh, uh, to speak in a way or to to... Uh, 
how should you say it, to report a situation in a way that makes the person's reputation look as bad as possible. You put you 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 paint it in the in the worst possible light, uh, and uh, and our society has become so numb to this because of how the news is reported. Uh, uh, you know, you you follow your uh, your favorite news channel. Uh, and, and nowadays it just seems like one channel, uh, uh, does the bidding of one political party and the other channels do the other, the, the bit of the other, um, uh, do the bidding of the other political party and, and, and they just go at it and it's hard to mm. know what the truth of the matter is. Right. And, and so, uh, so I think, uh, you know, this, this leads to a greater, you know, to a, perhaps a, a good application of saying, how do we keep this commandment when we're watching these things, when we hear about them and how, how do we sift through whether it's slander, whether it's, whether it's, you know, what they used to refer to as like yellow journalism and things like that. Is it, is it slander or are they reporting the facts correctly and the correct facts just happen to paint the guy in an honest light that isn't so flattering? Right, so slander is to to intentionally or even unintentionally paint the guy in a light that is not helpful, uh, uh, and and yet there are times, and this is where I think Christians almost feel guilty. There are times, or you might even say it this way: the eighth commandment has its limits of being able to protect our neighbor's reputation. Luther says in the large catechism, uh, you know, of all of these examples, he says we've been speaking of private sins. But sins that are public, y- you can't help it, right? If the if the if the if the guy has proven himself to be a sinner in this capacity, what are you supposed to do? Uh, and and sometimes I tend to think that because we're so worried about the eighth commandment, we're we're not willing to be honest when the situation is is so right in our face that we're trying desperately to paint it in a better light than what it should be painted in. Uh, and so in all of these different ways, and again, I think one of the easiest examples is when we say, well, which side do we believe? Who's slandering whom, right? And, and immediately everyone jumps to their political corner, uh, and that's not really helpful. And yet I think as pastors, we can sort of enter that conversation and say, well, maybe the first thing the, the Eighth Commandment requires of us is patience. Patience until you know the facts, until you know whether or not this person has been slandering uh, or has been slandered or whether it's just an honest assessment of what's going on. Uh, uh, And when people have two sides and they say, well, I don't want to slander or I don't want to uh, bear the reputation incorrectly, uh, so who do I believe, right? So uh, recently, do I believe something like... uh, um, the FBI, or do I believe somebody like Donald Trump? Because that's been in the news. And and Christians go, well, wait a second. If I believe the FBI, now am I potentially slandering this person? Or if I believe this person, am I slander? You know, am I am I bearing false witness against the FBI? And it's a difficult situation because we just don't know the the facts as as well, and we don't have the reporters that we can count on to just be intellectually honest. Uh, so um, I think the the best way to positively keep this commandment, uh, and I know I've sort of strayed here from the question of what is slander, but I'll get back to this. The best way to keep it uh, is is to simply be be patient with the facts. And so when it comes to what is slander, slander is again whether it's intentional or not. Maybe a, a parochial or, or just a, a um, uh, yeah, maybe just a, 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 a layman's way of, of describing slander would be playing fast and loose 
with the facts in a way which we don't really care what it does to our neighbor's reputation, or maybe even intentionally, we're harming that reputation we know that we are. And it, it slander is a difficult thing to, to make a distinction of. And first of all, I think this is a call to prayer for our leaders that how, how do they, for an, an election, how do they faithfully do an election in America without slander? And I, I don't have the ideas, and, and I don't necessarily think that we want to, to try to figure it out here, but it does call me to pray for our leaders in the church, uh, trying to make sure that we are not slandering, that we're patient. And I've seen this too, Pastor, with different forms of conflict within the life of the church, that in that conflict, that the number one issue we have is that people aren't patient. Right. They're not patient to try to hear both sides. They're not patient to try to look in the mirror. They're not patient. We, I should say we, I, I apologize. We are not good at this. And that leads us to then breaking other commandments, you know, uh, and, and that, so Lord, give us that gift of patience as we continue to live as Christian people. Pastor, as we look at the next portion Dr. Plass talked about it, that you had the prohibitions and then you had the prescriptions in the Ten Commandments, which I, I never heard that before. And, and, you know, I didn't get permission to repeat that. Maybe. But anyways, <laughs> um, the prohibitions. And so do not tell lies, betray, slander or hurt reputations. But there are prescriptions here. And what are those prescriptions and any thoughts on how we as the baptized can do this in our Christian lives? Yeah, the prescriptions, uh, the, the the things that we omit or the righteousness that we often omit and, and ought uh, uh, seek after and desire to do would certainly, one, be to uh, – uh, let me try that again – would, one, be to, spe- <laughs> to speak well of our neighbor, right? Speak well of them. Uh, 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 keep a tight lip. Um, uh, be like you say, be patient in drawing conclusions. Not everything needs to be answered in uh, thirty seconds. You know, we live in this this drive-by society where if you can't give them an answer in one tweet or one text, all of a sudden they claim that they are justified in making their own, uh, you know, drawing their own conclusions. That's not true. Just let let the facts play out. Let the situation play out. And sometimes these situations take a long time to play out, years in some cases. Um, uh, so speak the truth in love. Uh, be patient in drawing conclusions. Be gentle, kind, polite, um, you know, I, I think that's a that's probably the simplest way to put it, and yet it's one that because everyone's heard it so often, we perhaps don't practice it as well as we could, and we need to be reminded. Oh, yeah, politeness uh, is actually uh, part of the holy will of God. It's not just sort of a societal uh, uh, benefit, uh, 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 but um, you know, being polite, speaking the truth in love, and, and again, speaking the truth in love. Right, that mm-hmm. that also needs to be understood. That you are not breaking the eighth commandment when you have to admit that the truth does not, you know, paint this all with a rosy uh, uh, with with rosy colors. Uh, if the situation mm-hmm. is sort of bleak, it's sort of bleak, and be honest about that. So sometimes I think Christians get into a situation in which they think that you are breaking the eighth commandment if you say something that has been tagged by society, for example, as being. Uh, hateful 
That's not true. Notice how the notice how the the society, because it no longer holds to the Ten Commandments, it has to fill the void with its own version of the Ten Commandments. And so now society comes in and it has sort of this thing of you you cannot say these words, you cannot describe things in this way because that's harmful. And yet for Christians to say, you know, um, uh, let me just say the truth of a situation. The person that is now called undocumented has broken the law and is here illegally. That doesn't mean I hate the person. It doesn't mean I don't want that person to repent and be redeemed or to, to be forgiven by Christ. It simply means we're calling uh, the, the fact of the situation the fact of the situation. Or to say this person who wants to identify as a girl is a boy is not hateful. We're not breaking the eighth commandment. We're not, uh, uh, you know, to, to put the best construction on everything or to explain everything in the kindest way does not mean leave the truth behind. And that's mm-hmm. something that we as Christians have to be willing to sort of have a backbone about and say, I can speak the truth lovingly, right? To speak the truth in love means to be polite, to, to speak gently, to speak patiently, to speak softly. But to speak the truth in love also means that love requires me to be honest. And that's the most loving thing I can do is be honest with that individual rather than pretend that that individual is living according to God's uh, holy will for his creation. In Luther's preface, he says it in such a pastoral way. We went through this to begin our study uh, of the Book of Concord, and he says this. He says, therefore, I beg all of you, for God's sake, my dear sirs and brethren, who are pastors or preachers, to devote yourself heartily to your office. Have pity on the people who are entrusted to you. And he goes back to Acts chapter 20 and help us teach a catechism to the people, especially to the young. I love that reflects exactly what you're saying is never to um, throw away the truth. And your examples are, are just pure gold for our world today. Well, not pure gold, but they are very relevant for our day to day but to have compassion, compassion on the people who are entrusted to you. And this is a small catechism for you, our parents or grandparents who are teaching the faith to your children and grandchildren to speak the truth, but you do all of it with compassion and pity because these are your children, but the truth must be told. And that's a small small catechism. In a simple way, you're able to say that stealing is wrong. That gossip is wrong. And we need to make sure that we are telling the truth. Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. Um, How about we wrap this together? How would you summarize the seventh and eighth commandment and encourage our listeners? Well, I think the the seventh and eighth commandments together, uh, to to summarize them together, uh, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, reminds us that to sin against our neighbor goes well beyond uh, their life uh, and their spouse, uh, but that uh, with property and reputation, these are gifts that God has given us as well. Uh, and if if uh, we as Christians can recognize and and that that Christ has taught us to pray for our own daily bread, and that daily bread includes our not only our wife and 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 children, but it also includes our property and it includes our reputation. If God wants us to have these things, and therefore he commands us to pray for them, give us this day our daily bread, then as we are so grateful that he has given them to us, we can look at our neighbor and say, God has also given them to you. And therefore, whatever I can do 
to, uh, in the honesty and truth of Christ's doctrine, uh, to help protect your property and your reputation, uh, then what a good and pleasing work it is to do to dedicate my daily life to that as well. And Pastor, actually, we have just a little more time. We've been encouraging our listeners, and how can we teach a catechism in the home? Do you have a simple, one minute left, a simple idea of how our listeners, or even me or other pastors, whoever it might be, that they can teach the small catechism and, and teach it in the home? Uh, instead of giving a practical uh, uh, A, B, and C, let me just give a thematic picture. And I, I, I do this with confirmation, uh, the, that first night of confirmation as well. I hold up the small catechism right in the middle of the binding of the Book of Concord. I hold both books up and I show the heads of household. I say, if you open this Book of Concord, the very middle of it, the very heart of it is the small catechism. Uh, and if you teach your children the small catechism, you are teaching them the heart of the Book of Concord, and therefore the rest of it opens up from there. there there's there, there's no confession of the Lutheran faith more important than the small catechism in, in this regard because it, it teaches the children to grow up into the things of God rather than outgrow, or in their minds, outgrow the things of God. Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois, clearly confessing Christ through the small catechism. Pastor Bestel, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thanks so much for having me, Brady. I appreciate it. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Mm -hmm.